Hi, thanks so much for joining us with APC Chats, where we basically work to spotlight people, voices, and opinions that deserve a platform and may not often get it. That said, feel free to join us in the conversation, following us at APC Collective on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So we're joined today by the team, the talented team of Voto Latino. We have Mario, Steve, and Jessica, who are our longtime friends believers in a mission that is beyond themselves and working to engage more communities in uh, the voting process. Specifically right now for Voto Latino, you guys do much more work than that. So I wanted to kind of get your stories and kind of talk about the work that you do and how it's evolved and where you see it going. Sure, so I can kick off. Um, My background is actually, as Audrey knows, in marketing and advertising. So I started out um, at agencies in New York, later in Texas and Austin, Um, starting to focus in on what my passion was, talking to the Latino community. Um, But after a little while, I found that I really, really wanted to focus on um, social good work. Um, So somehow I got incredibly lucky and a friend introduced me to uh, the amazing team at Voto Latino. Um, And it was uh, a perfect fit. It really, really allowed me to use a lot of the skills that I had developed in marketing and advertising, talking about um, uh, concepts and really communicating with the, communi- with the community in a way that uh, was meaningful and authentic and helped change heart- hearts and minds. But I felt like I was doing um, uh, selling social good instead of selling products. Um, and I think there's a lot of uh, synergies and, and overlap in the work I used to do and the work I do now, um, which is fun. It's really, really um, identifying how you can uh, connect with folks through digital, through uh, different mediums, and have conversations. Uh, and for me, it's really, it's really about that. What about you, Steve? I just can add something to her story. <laughs> <laughs> she got, when she said uh, that she got introduced to the team at Voto Latino, it was only two people in the entry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey, that's the, the whole team. team. <laughs> no, because yeah. everybody must be thinking it's like 10 people, but no. <laughs> it was just a powerful few. Yeah, and and Steve was the the I think first half of that story. I'll let him tell his story, but I've, it's been an incredible journey um, to get to know the the organization, which, like Steve was saying, was three people. But uh, it really is a community too. It's all the people that kind of come along with with the group, including Andre, who has been a longtime friend and supporter. Well, talk to us about the mighty beginnings <laughs> and where you're going next, Steve. The beginnings. Um, so when I first, uh, when Maria Teresa offered me the job, I moved to uh, moved to DC, and um, her plans unfortunately didn't work out, and we didn't have an office, so we worked out of Starbucks. <laughs> there <laughs> were no pods back then. Oh, right? there, no there pods. were no pods. So we just worked out of uh, uh, Starbucks and her apartment for a couple of months till. We finally found an office space, and then um, we started building the team. And when I say office space, I mean uh, uh, four cubicles. Yeah, I <laughs> so get it. So it's really a labor of love. Oh, wait, yeah. Maya Teresa had a cubicle? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> she was next to me. Wow. <laughs> humble beginnings. They shared a cubicle. I love it. Wow, I didn't from know that. the kitchen counter with Raj <laughs> making coffee nice. to four cubes. I love that. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, I'm one of the newcomers to Voto Latino. I began about a year and a half ago almost. I began uh, in December of 2015, and before that I was doing communications work for an immigration nonprofit out of D.C. as well called United We Dream. 
And for me, my trajectory was a little bit different. I, I, I guess for me, I started off doing communications work because I believe in the power of stories and I believe in everyone has their own story to share and that, that stems from my own experiences as well. Before uh, joining United We Dream, I did the Peace Corps and I worked out of Costa Rica. Wow. Yeah, that was really amazing. And I couldn't I w- get through that application. No? <laughs> I had the ambition and the yeah. idea to do it, but I'm like, this is complicated. It was intense. It was intense. Two-year commitment also Yeah, like it was 27 months. I was fine months. with that. It was just a, like the long application. It was a very long application. It took about almost a year before I finished the application until the time I got accepted until I actually left to Costa Rica. But I went there and I lived in a predominantly Nicaraguan immigrant community and I got to see a lot of struggle and I saw abject poverty like I'd never seen before. And I noticed there that a lot of the immigrants from Nicaragua were treated not that differently from immigrants here in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. So they were blamed for a lot of the social problems. They were blamed for the lack of opportunities. They were blamed for the crime. So then I kind of reflected on my own experiences living in the United States. Obviously, growing up in El Paso, it's very different because you grew up with 80% raza, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. Latino. I didn't know I was n- different until I got to UT. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so by the time I got to Austin for graduate school, I realized, oh my God, there are not that many Latinos out yeah. there in the world. When you grow up in El Paso, as both you and Jess know, it's just the white people are the minorities there. <laughs> it's really interesting. I think there's a lot of synergies there with uh, a lot of border communities. Yeah. I think so as well. And I think they're really, really good examples and, and um, we can learn a lot from places like El Paso, uh, LA to folks that are embracing um, diversity and embracing the, um, the this community to help build up. Yeah. Um, well, and I, f- I feel like growing up in El Paso, um, sorry, Steve, you're outnumbered. Where'd you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Big, beautiful city. Um, <laughs> Which you have that on us. But I think El Paso is amazing and beautiful. I love El Paso. But growing up in El Paso, you didn't know that people couldn't be doctors or lawyers or business owners. Like, that was just what you did. And coming here and walking on campus, I was getting, like, Muslim Student Association invites, American Indian Student Association invites. And I'm like, why doesn't Tridel offer me a flyer? Like, what is that about? And not that I thought any which way about it. It's like the first time I looked at my skin as something different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it made me reflect and kind of own a narrative that I hadn't been forced to own before. Yeah. People I mean, were doing it for me. I think that's the first time I realized that I'm a Latino and I should embrace that part of myself because in El, in El Paso, you don't stand out. Obviously, everyone looks like you and everyone, for the most part, speaks Spanish as well. So it's, I wouldn't say a rude awakening, but it's certainly an awakening yeah. when you leave. I think it was a really, really great experience. I had I had kind of a different experience growing up because my dad's family uh, is from New York. My mom's family is all from Mexico. So I grew up spending all my summers in Chihuahua mm-hmm. um, in Mexico and occasionally going on holiday to uh, the East Coast. So when I was with family in Mexico, I was Mexican. I was like 100%, mm-hmm. you know, that. I speak perfect Spanish as my first language. Um, and I didn't feel any different. And when I went to my dad's family, didn't feel any different. I was welcome with open arms. And it was the, the kind of shocking thing to me when I got to school, when I went away to school um, in the East Coast, was that people didn't welcome differences with open arms or didn't welcome others. Um, so I feel like that's a really big driving force in my work is, is trying to make other people understand that these are the beautiful, like, beautiful things to be celebrated. Um, because for me, it was always a uh, uh, fun thing to speak Spanish in front of my uh, English-speaking cousins and have them <laughs> understand. Like, and then on the say? other side, what did you call me? On the <laughs> other side of my uh, yeah, of my mom's family, you know, being able to to um, 
be different. It's a special thing. Yeah, and so, Jess also is from Chihuahua, so we have that in common too because I was born in Chihuahua as well. So our roots go back pretty far. <laughs> yeah. Well, my great grandmother's from Villamala, which is not Chihuahua, Chihuahua. It's like the stopover. It's the stopover. Can we talk about the Villamala burritos, please? <laughs> I, have, I haven't been to Chihuahua since I was, yeah. I think, 13 years old. And I went with just my sister and I. She's 10 years older than I am, but we stopped for some burritos for sure. And I didn't know the connection when I would go because I would go with a friend's family. I'm much more acculturated in the sense that my grandparents were born in like Crystal City and and mm-hmm. and Fabens, I believe. So it was like, it wasn't a traditional experience in that way of being a Latino. It was just my family was my family. We loved what we loved in terms of food. We spoke, you know, Spanish with my grandmother. My parents would speak Spanish so that we didn't understand. And I'm the one who pursued. I'm like, wait a minute, people are gonna think of us as different. And I see my grandmother's skin, and she would wear copper and turquoise and silver. And initially, I hated it until I looked at her. And I wanted to know more and more and more to honor her. So I feel like I've embraced I've embraced culture, not because it was something that I thought needed to be embraced. It was just kind of owning it in a different way. And then having corporate America be like, hey, you young girl that dressed a lot better than I do now. Um, <laughs> why don't you be on the, the diversity team for SBC or for Dell? And I'm like, wait a minute, why don't I get to play with those guys? Why do I have to do this? And then when I started doing it, I fell in love. And that's been my... Well, and I think it's it's something that is so relevant now. It's in a lot of the work that we do is bringing in those um, uh, kind of new trends and different opinions and different styles and different tastes. It it really makes um, all of us kind of as part of the Latino community tastemakers and um, folks with a different perspective, which in some cases is very is valued, um, sure. which I appreciate. But in some cases, we need to force people to see the value of it. Right. Speaking of that, and you guys naturally, I mean, you're working for a mission that is inclusion, really, into the process, into the thinking, into the engagement, and developing the next country and what it looks like politically and leadership-wise. How is being where you're from, whether it's identity, ethnicity, family, journey, how has that shaped your role and your work today? Who wants to take that? Steve. Unpack it, Steve. (laughs) Unpack that. Fearless leader. OG. Um... I think that just like understanding um, like our parents' experience and um, understanding the position that we are in, at least being in D.C., like we talk among all my friends that we're sort of like the 1% in that space of the Latinos that have made it and to understand the, the position of influence that we are in, mm-hmm. but also remembering where we come from, remembering our parents' sacrifice and what they've gone through and their, sto- and their story and then where we are at and how much further we could go or or it's fine if like if you want to stay like in certain spaces of like uh, there's some people that um like i truly believe people could go as far as they want in life but it's up to where you want to go right mm-hmm. and um i i think at least for me understanding my my parents story and um because I, I have a lot of family members that are comfortable Mm-hmm. With, in the sense of like, well, we had an LPR campaign. That's a legal per- permanent residence, trying to tell them that uh, they should become U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard. A lot, a lot of people don't want to do it. It's not. Uh, it's expensive, and they don't want to take the test. And uh, at least in my in 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 my family story, they they they're happy with the, they're they're happy with the legal permanent residency. They don't feel that they have to be. They don't see the benefit of becoming a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. And when we did the kind of comparison of side by side, the only thing that changes is that you have the right to vote, and mm-hmm. and they don't see value in that. But um, 
to, to connect the whole story is like I feel that um, sometimes it's okay if they made it that far because where they come from they didn't have anything yeah. And they also oftentimes come from countries in which they really do have oppression and they don't have a history of civic engagement. So I think going back to your question about what drives the work that I do, I, th- I think back to when I was in high school in El Paso and no one ever asked me to register to vote. No one really cared about my political opinion. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think when I think about it that way and I think about 18 year olds growing up in El Paso now and I'm wondering, are people actually reaching out to them now? We're. I mean, I'm pretty far removed from high school at this point, and I don't know if it's changed. I don't know if we've done enough to really engage those folks who haven't been engaged for long periods of time, whose parents might not be citizens, so they've never voted. They don't pass down that heritage, that tradition of civic engagement to their children. So I think that's also a a challenge when you're trying to engage the folks that we do. And that's definitely part of our mission. I think that's why we do the work that we do, is because nobody is talking to these folks. Nobody talked to any of us, I think, around the table uh, about voter registration or getting involved and actually even understanding that it doesn't start and end with registering. It's Mm -hmm. about holding your elected officials accountable. It's about going to um, town halls. It's about just calling or uh, knowing who your representative is so that when there is a, you know, a pothole in your street, you Mm -hmm. know who to call. That's why people, um, my husband and I have this conversation a lot, but uh, you can tell uh, neighborhoods where folks are affluent and engaged because they have their you know, streets kept up, mm-hmm. they have lighting, they have all these yeah. resources that come from uh, the government that we really you know, put in power and we are responsible for keeping accountable. Um, and it's folks that, like Steve was saying, that maybe uh, you know, are satisfied and have come from much worse situations that um, don't know what else is out there and what else they can have and what else they can do. Yeah. And it's really, really up to us at Voto Latino, um, at all the you know, corporate social responsibility kind of programs, all these, these folks, especially at a time now when there's so much distrust in mm-hmm. our government, it's up to uh, nonprofits, leaders, uh, brands, all of these folks to to connect the dots for our community and and uh, keep keep our electeds accountable. You talk about being from different countries where people naturally don't distrust institutions or naturally distrust in- institutions because of political oppression, because of fraud, because corruption. of corruption and crazy <laughs> amounts. Um, but even in East Austin, right? Uh, Austin is our adopted city. My parents moved here after my brother and I were in school and then my sister moved back um, to talk about a Latino family when you're dancing at Miguel's and you see your dad also dancing at Miguel's. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a chaperone, but not really. Um, did you did you go to UT? No. Okay, well, that's an experience. That's a UT experience when back in the day. Oh, okay. But I'm picturing you running into your dad. At, oh, and all uh, my bar, friends had so crushes fun. on him. That's fun. It was awesome. <laughs> Um, but even in East Austin, where I live, and I was talking to my friend Lonnie Limon, who you know, and he was saying, you know, we have to call the city to go and mow the the side streets and the mediums because yeah. people just don't complain here and they don't know who to call. So it's not necessarily mm-hmm. just people of foreign descent who have come to the United States who don't trust government or who don't, who think they've made it so much that they don't care about getting involved. It's even local citizens who have mm-hmm. constantly been marginalized and disenfranchised and maybe under-engaged civically that don't have the basics of who to call. And I was yeah. thinking when you're talking about conversations, it's like we probably need to reframe the five key conversations you need to have with kids um, from be nice to trust yourself to no bullying to the birds and the bees to getting involved <laughs> to finding a job. Like I feel like we need to reframe that, yeah. the context of being human 
and making civic engagement and responsibility part of that because I don't know that that is a is a lesson you learn from your parents these days. Do I you, think. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I think there's a lot of organizations now more so than when I was growing up that do see it as a responsibility. Mm -hmm. Is there a corporate responsibility to mm -hmm. reach out to communities? You see so many campaigns now when you're watching award shows or when yeah. you're watching things that involve celebrities, obviously, that reach to younger audiences that they, they feel like they know what's going to hit with them, what's going to really be effective. So you'll see commercials like Coca-Cola do very diverse commercials or you'll mm -hmm. see commercials like the one, which one was the one from the Academy Awards that was also really good. But anyway, you see a lot of these organizations but I, what I worry about or what I think about when I watch it is that do they really care or do they understand or is it just for the bottom line but it's both it is both working with right. corporate America it, it is both I feel like it's it's people in positions of influence who can tell a story that they really believe in that they know is going to resonate with their core values as well as with their consumers and if you look at the trajectory of philanthropy it started with family foundations like very wealthy families like the Rockefellers and the Fords that knew they needed to do more to engage um for a lot of different reasons, but it, it started there. And then with corporations being more mindful because because their consumers care, because mm -hmm. they're getting called out. And I feel like back in 2000, the news media, just like the 24-hour news cycle, it made companies a lot more accountable because all of a sudden, in my mind, the truth wants to be known. <laughs> and now with the news... Even in today's age, yeah. And to, <laughs> absolutely, freaking lately. And with social media, we're holding people accountable, and I feel like that's that's where you get the Starbucks of the world thinking like we could do it a different way. Sure. And the Coca-Cola is being like, let's really, I mean, Coca-Cola is an international brand. It's maybe a U.S. company, but it's an international brand. So they're, mm -hmm. they're standing up for their beliefs. So I'm a champion of corporate. I actually wanted to work in politics, but I figured that you can move money and intention so much faster working in the private sector. So that's what I'm... You probably could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, now, and nowadays when so many folks uh, care about where their products come from yeah. and care about uh, supply chains and... Uh, environmental footprint. yeah, mm -hmm. footprint and all these things. I think it's similar to the way that we keep our electeds and mm -hmm. our government accountable. Um, we keep our brands and our um, uh, corporate America accountable through the power of our dollar and where people invest. More um, and, and I think that it, it is to everybody's benefit uh, to, to really make sure that they're listening to the community. Uh, for us, it's really to uplift those voices because some folks don't understand the power that they have. With the Latino community, it's you know three trillion dollars of buying power, or um, and only growing. Um, in the last couple of years, we we have an attack on, on immigration right now, and it's become an ugly and dirty word. But uh, the reality is that the growth of the Latino community is coming from um, second, uh, and third generation, second and yep, from births. It's not there's immigration has been net zero for the last couple of years. So we really have to kind of reframe these conversations and make sure that. Um, everybody's included in the conversation and we're not marginalizing these very powerful groups. So when you talk about number. reframing the conversation and kind of shedding light on the facts, right? Because I feel like there's a lot of headlines, but you, we still have <laughs> to dig. Not the alternative facts. No. Yeah. I wanted a fact factory, like factory. Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, I'm just like, why aren't we creating memes faster? Why aren't we trying to disseminate statistics faster? Like, who's doing that? Like, why aren't we doing more of that? Anyway, we'll talk about what's Steve. next. <laughs> you got cooking. <laughs> Steve's our creative I know, choice. I know. Like, I'm looking at him. <laughs> we have more work to do. But when you talk about um, shedding light and engaging and empowering, like, you've done so much work. And, you know, from Maria Teresa, you guys, the originals, and the people who've come before even us, like, there's been so much work that's been done, but we're nowhere near finished. And I feel like this last cycle highlighted the fact that 
there's some real disconnects between different points of view. How do we get to the next level and what is next for you guys and the work that you do? You know, something that actually Maria Teresa says a lot um, around uniting people is I think that there's a lot of folks trying to um, divide people across uh, racial lines. But when you really look at the demographics and you look at the growth and you look at um, uh, voting patterns, I'm sure this applies to buying patterns. I'll have to, I haven't looked into that. Um, the way that, that we should be having and framing these conversations is around generational lines. So right now, millennials are bigger than um, baby boomers and Gen X and any generation that came before them. Um, Gen Z, the next generation, that is digitally digital native, the most diverse in our country's history, um, is the largest generation we've ever seen. Um, so to get uh, folks born before sorry, after the 2000s, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to get them engaged and to make sure that they're educated and brought into the conversation, um, I think is kind of our next challenge and our next, um, uh, I guess, project. Yeah, responsibility. So we we're really going to have to do gaming insertions? Yes. Well, <laughs> just, just to add to that, at least what I'm excited about is that like this, you know, millennials are having babies already. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking to millennials for, for many years, whether they participated or not they've been fully aware of the messaging and when their kids grow up they're going to pass that information down yeah so it's not like they don't know about it so we we are going to have a new, we're, we're going to have a new generation of kids that are part of the digital space where their parents are probably going to start voting because you do reach at a certain uh, like a lot of my friends i've been working at voter latino for a long time how and my, long Steve? well like eight years and my friends are just <laughs> starting to pay attention because of the last election mm-hmm. and how long did it take them to become politically active? But now they're now they're having families. They yeah. have kids, and they're thinking about you know how are they going to raise them. So mm-hmm. um, and and the other cool thing too is that they kind of been through the system, so they know how everything works. Mm-hmm. So their kids are going to be guided by their parents versus like someone like me that I was being guided by my parents that grew up in a different country and had a completely different experience mm-hmm. than the one I had. And so we're going to have a new engaged generation. I think by nature, they're going to be engaged. We're just going to have to figure out different ways to uh, connect and talk to them. But yeah. they're going to be fully aware. It's going to be fun, though. And you're, yeah. absolutely, you're absolutely right, though, because I have friends from high school who grew up in El Paso who are Latino, but U.S. citizens, and they weren't that interested into politics. But now a couple of them have kids, and they're, they're worrying about their schools, and they're worrying about how their tax dollars are spent. And now maybe it was also just the election cycle and the nature of it, they were paying a lot closer attention and yeah. maybe a little bit of prodding for me too to get them to actually vote. But I mean, they started, they're starting to care and I'm hoping that now that they're having kids and as we start having kids and they'll be more politically active as well and it's just going to be how we reach them, right? Because I think one of the things that I see among young people is that there's a lot of distrust among political parties, right? So then we have to Media, start... Media, institutions, you name it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of distrust and where how we fill that void as to being a trusted source and continue being a trusted source is going to be huge on how we reach these folks. Yeah, and one, one of the things that was, I think, really exciting is we don't talk about the success mm-hmm. that the Latino community had last year. I think when you look at the numbers, um, it was the only electorate in the country that grew. So every other demographic, African-Americans, whites, uh, you break it down however you want, Latinos are the only ones that grew in terms of new folks in the system and um, uh, turnout. Uh, we don't have all turnout numbers yet, but we've also been really um, uh, heartened because it was our biggest year ever. We registered close to 200,000, over wow. 177,000 folks, um, and uh, contacted 
uh, 1.5 million directly by providing information and and really on top of that had the most engaged volunteer base had the most engaged uh, supporter network that we've ever had and it's kind of, it, it goes to both to what Steve and Mario were saying which is exciting is that you know we have um, I think laid a great groundwork for this next stage um, uh, yeah, twenty seven. There's elections in twenty seventeen yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah but there are. every year. <laughs> yeah. I also think that um, what I'm hoping is happening is like a slingshot, where it seems like we're going backwards in some ways of division or rhetoric or just the divide. It seems like we're going backwards, but I'm I'm hoping that what this does is it kind of pushes us or propels us forward in a very fast and intentional way because I feel like that's happening. I mean, I'm awake to more conversations now than I've ever been and having, you know, you guys and I, I give total credit to Voto Latino and Maria Teresa and Jessica and Steve and Eddie and everybody who's ever talked to me about the importance of participation because I feel like the work that you guys do is at the very core, um, it is the grassroots movement, it is empowerment, it is building the conversations for the next generation and the next generation because not having a seat at the table changes the outcomes of those rooms and so you guys have opened my eyes to the importance of 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 staying awake right and having a seat at the table staying is actually woke. staying i know i wanted to say woke. it but i was trying to correct my english <laughs> we, we gotta stay Maybe hip I'm, I'm barely a millennial but still stay woke no but you're right though having a seat at the table is huge and that's why i mean i encourage folks to start thinking about making their own runs for mm -hmm. city council for school boards for local level local level is going to be huge and i think that once we really allow folks to see the difference that they can make locally it'll it'll just hopefully trickle down to wanting to really get involved nationally as well right so yeah. and if local. you can't run for for uh, office uh come to some of our events and here in austin mm -hmm. we're doing uh tomorrow or sorry on thursday we're part of the big auditorium shore uh showcase our uh, good friend at, at south by helped us um hook up with with this amazing concert with Oso Matli, uh, Panteón Rococo, and uh, Residente. Um, it's a, mm -hmm. yes, from Gaitresa. It's a um, show open to the public, but you can come learn about the work that we do, get yourself registered if you're not registered, and engage in some really fun content that we're planning. And speaking of that, not to end there, because I do want to talk about like uh, the fact that we don't have the leaders that we had in, in you know the civil rights era, and so everyone, and I think we were talking about this way back when in DC in a circular table at some hotel about who are the people that we're supposed to look up to now. And do we have the mentors or do we have the guides or the leaders? And I think I said like, wait a minute, I have mine. They're my grandmother and my dad and my mom and like the people who worked hard to make sure that I have everything that I need. But do we need, do we need the leadership like we needed it yesterday, today? And is that something that we're thinking about in terms of programming against or lifting up the next I think that it, it feels that way because of history. History has shown that there's a movement and there's a leader. And mm -hmm. so um, we're seeing a movement that's being developed. So it feels like, because it's, it's something feels like history is repeating itself and, and we're like, where's our leader now? But I think times are changing and there could be leaders everywhere. Mm -hmm. You could be a leader in your own community and stand mm -hmm. up, right? Right. I also think that I think movements are being a lot more intentional about not having one person be a leader. I think of the Black Lives Matter movement mm -hmm. where they haven't really tried to uplift one person as the leader of that movement. And from that, you kind of see the movement as the leader of itself, right? But so in, in that sense, I don't know if we have within us the next MLK or the next Cesar Chavez, but I, what we really hope that people feel is that they can be that person mm -hmm. for themselves and for their communities and for their families. So it's within all of us, I think. 
And that's the beauty of social media and all things online engagement and digital strategies to make sure that people are empowered. I get the daily action texts, so I feel like I can contribute. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Um, but for you guys and what's next in your journey at Voto Latino and Beyond, what is it that you hope to see for, for yourselves? What do you want to do? What kind of impact do you want to have? Sure. So I'll start. Um, I think for us, it's really about engaging this next generation, right? So Voto Latino, Voto Latino was founded on the idea that, um, you know, 10, 12 years ago, young Latinos could be reached through uh, English language content, uh, through digital and social. Back then it was MySpace and um, <laughs> and, and text on not smartphones. Mm-hmm. But um, people uh, told you know, our, our, our um, president and founders that they, that wasn't the way to talk to Latinos, that they weren't online, uh, that they weren't uh, going to be engaged that way. And I think Voto Latino has made a habit of being on the cutting edge and, and um, setting trends and uh, proving the critics wrong. So I think I'm excited to continue um, uh, bending the rules and um, engaging folks and, and doing things differently. Um, so that's, that's what's I think Ma- for me. Maria Teresa said something last year that, that really connected with me, and she was like, we're, we've sort of been training for this moment. Yeah, you have. And so, <laughs> like, have. at least for me, I've been doing it's this for been. eight years, so moving forward, how can I take all this knowledge and really put it to good use? There's a lot of people in different industries that are moving up in positions of leadership where mm-hmm. they're calling us now. Yeah. We don't even have to pick up the phone and be like, hey, want to partner with us. They're yeah. calling us. It's, how do we maximize this to the much larger levels? Um, and for goals, I think I told just that the other day. I think uh, Voto Latino is going to turn 15 soon. Oh my goodness, and you're 15. <laughs> what are we going to do? 15. Exactly. Is it going to be a quinceanera, really? I'd, I'd like to have like one, mi- 1 million voters by then. How about 15 million? Or 15 oh, million. Right, let's do it. Let's <laughs> get more. More and, and more. get that sponsor. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've already touched upon the, the Voto Latino goals, and they're, they're lofty, but certainly achievable. But I mean, I think for me personally, I think back to last year, and it was really tough. It was really tough. I think I, I think back to November 8th and whatever your political view, leanings might be. For, for us, it was a really harrowing day, and we were kind of in shock, and... November 9th there were tears shed and we were all trying to figure out what was next right and even for me I was like holy crap what happens now what's January 20th going to be like but I think from then we've all in our own ways become re-motivated to, to the movement whether it's been through speaking to someone and, and hearing their story or even your own personal experiences so I've gone from everything to run for office to to join a, a campaign maybe in the future for like when looking out for 2020 who's going to be running and how can i support that candidate and making sure that the latino community remains engaged so that's w- what i'm looking at personally mm-hmm. but i don't know i, I feel like it's, it's open-ended and i feel that after the last year that we've had we all had so much fun and i'm really looking forward to seeing what's next with us one of the things, though, that we were talking about in my family of like, because we had we had voters on different sides, and, and depending on comfort level, depending on exposure, access, or connection to culture, people voted or they didn't vote, mm-hmm. and they voted in ways that I was completely surprised. Mm-hmm. And and you know, um, I'll completely admit to trolling my uncle's page. He's an uncle by marriage, and I'm like, actually, <laughs> here's a link. Actually, and my sister's like, you do that when you get mad. And I'm like, well, I, I do that because I feel like there's such a disconnect, even with my immediate circle, and not so immediate circle, it's not my immediate family, it's my wider family that has married in different in different ways, different cultures, and different experiences in cities. 
And so I'm like, I feel like we probably should have had conversations about issues as a family. Mm. And we probably should encourage that. My mom is very much like, there's no yelling in our house. There's no politics in our house. There's nothing that could boil blood in a conversation at dinner. I'm like, but shouldn't we be talking about the issues in a way that isn't polarizing? And shouldn't we learn to help kind of shed light on issues? And I feel like if we do that in our family, in our circle, then I would have hosted. I would right. have hosted like, hey, we're going to talk about these five things. If you have facts or articles, bring them. I want to know. You're so right. And, and like, even just something like that yeah. could and start so That kind of, um, it makes me think of uh, when we started uh, talking about last year and kind of our goals and um, one thing that I think still holds true and people talk about what can I do? How can I engage? How can I, um, exactly what you're saying, like how can I just go within my own sphere of influence? There's around 27 million uh, Latinos that are eligible mm-hmm. to, to vote. Half of them are registered. Mm-hmm. If every single Latino finds one other Latino it's in their the circle that project. is not. <laughs> the primo project. That's it's it. Not Sorry, I'm going to stop yes. naming things for you guys. We're going to be a retainer. But it is the primo it. project. It it's it like, and all of your cousins, because uh-huh. we have, I have 26 There's first cousins and so there. many more that are second and third, like, just get someone We all have somebody engaged. in our circle. You're so right, though, about engage. just the having lack of conversations. There were friends of mine on Facebook who I just purposely blocked because I didn't want to hear what they were saying at that point. So instead of me, as an individual, outwardly wanting to know more about why they think the way that they do, we shut down, we shut off, and we say, no, you're wrong, I'm right, and they think the same thing about me. So. And then nothing progresses because and then nothing it's progresses. self and other. Exactly. It's important to have the conversation with the other side because you will never realize how much in common that you have. And yeah. sometimes there are misunderstandings. Jess, you should tell your story about the guy you talked about. You should. It's your story. It's my story. You hang up. It's a great conversation, and it's an example of what happens when you have conversations with someone. Oh, Maybe you don't agree on the same page, but, but it's, it's powerful because... That person, next time he goes to the, you know, to go vote, he will think about this stuff. So my my good friend that I actually owe a text to, he sent he's uh, I haven't texted him back in a day, so <laughs> he was worried. Um, I spent um, I fly back and forth to DC a lot. Mm-hmm. I was on a, a plane ride from DC to Austin and sat next to a, an older gentleman. I never talk to people on planes. Uh, it's kind of my quiet time, work, or catch up on sleep. But I um, just kind of connected with this guy and gave him some suggestions on what to do in Austin. He was coming in to visit his new uh, grandson. Um, and we just really connected. And, and um, he told me about his story. I was telling him about my story. And, you know, two two drinks in to the flight. We <laughs> like, shared some cocktails. <laughs> shared some cocktails. Uh, into the flight, it kind of surfaced that, um, you know, he, I was a, a progressive and he was very conservative. And he kind of brought up some stuff about the election and how he felt about it and some of the things that made him vote uh, for Trump. Uh, he was a two-time Obama voter, and um, because of, you know, for different reasons, um, this year really felt like he had to vote for Trump. We were getting into a conversation totally um, civil and, and just really around facts and around listening to each other. I shared some of the reasons that I don't, you know, support him and some of the things that I felt were wrong. The, you know, you talk about security and emails. Uh, Trump and his cabinet are doing that. They're all <laughs> on unsecure <laughs> surface right now. And why is it that not an issue? Uh, let alone that, the having the nuclear uh, nuclear football uh, put all over social media. So sharing some of these things, he was really shocked and hadn't heard about them because I think he doesn't actively seek out this information. Just like I don't 
actively seek out the reasons that a two-time Obama voter might have turned for Trump. And it was a really enlightening conversation. I really appreciate it. And like I said, we're text friends now and kind of stay in touch and keep talking uh, because I think we really all need to listen uh, a little bit more and find, just like Steve was saying, those commonalities. Because at the end of the day, we all want the same things. We all want good jobs. We all want uh, good education. We all want opportunities for our families, for our loved ones. Um, and we can all do that if we work together instead of working uh, against each other. Instead of blocking your Facebook friends? <laughs> Wait, is he, in Austin, is he in Austin now? No, no. He's a uh, oh, uh, DC-based. Him. That would have been amazing. I, I think what happens is that we don't have these conversations until we're really upset. Like you were sharing, sharing earlier, you would go into your uh, family members when you were upset. And but I, sh- I do it in a way, like a friend of mine texted me from Australia. She's like, I don't know who that person is, but kudos because you're being really gracious and you're not beating them down with, mm-hmm. it's just respectfully, yeah. here's another alternative you or whatever. So no, no, that's good. I, you don't have to be mean. Don't be mean. No, 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 no more trolling. There's way too much yeah. trolling. Way. No, but with the point is we need to have more conversations just in general and like, I think that's how we move forward together. Yeah. We all want the same things. We do. We just sometimes... Yeah block out other perspectives because we're so entrenched in self and other and there's evolutionary mm-hmm. reasons of why that happens yeah. for you know tribalism and why people want it's to also protect strategic be part from of the group it's survival yeah. it's survival but i feel like um i think they did some research recently of just like cooperation it's like survival or competition or cooperation and the more people cooperate like actually that ensures better survival than competition and there's enough for everybody if we only knew that i think it'll get better generationally yeah though. i think yeah. you're seeing so many kids go to school with kids that look different from them that worship differently from them so I'm, I'm hoping the younger generation is the one that really understands this and really is the one that leads us forward they have to I have no doubt and I feel like to that end and I want to wrap this up because I know you guys have lots to do before your event um, an event series that's happening here but you spoke of the younger generation kind of being more open and more mindful of difference and not in a way that is exclusive but just like yeah it is what it is they, um, grew, they grew up with it yeah they're growing up with it and and they're better i think at difference because they don't have the perceived barriers and i don't know if time teaches them that or they're just learning not to see it at all what do you think is gonna like what is Voto latino gonna look like in 10 years or the next 15 years if you've done your job because i always think we should be doing our jobs to get to better problems so what would the better problem look like yeah we won't need to do voter registration anymore we could focus on other stuff (laughs) (laughs) people are just gonna do it on their own yeah no more voter registration automatic or simpler systems yeah simpler systems okay yeah i think simpler systems for participation in general i think that's what we need is to have two-way conversations with our um government and with our um electeds any other closing thoughts just get involved get involved and how can people get involved with voter latino Go to voterlatino.org, sign up to our email list, we'll send you stuff, but also just like, we have Google now. Just mm-hmm. could type anything and everything pops <laughs> up. I mean, obviously go to voterlatino.org first, but everything's there. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's what's easy about it now. Just Google it. Yeah. Follow, Google us, it. follow us on all the social media yeah. channels. You know how to find us. It's fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. I really believe in the work. Thank you for the, the inspiration that you've given me and my team and anyone I've ever been connected with i always talk about the work that you guys do i try and find funding thank you sometimes it's a little more difficult than (laughs) i would like um but 
getting people involved and engaged and empowered is the most important work of our time and you guys are doing that daily so thank you for your service because you are serving the country thank, thank you so thank much you, thank you for all you're doing it's very touching yeah. it's a team effort so yes. thank you too Hi, thanks so much for listening to us at APC Chats. Hopefully you walk away with some additional perspective or insight that you didn't have before. That said, if you want to continue the conversation, please do so following us at APC Collective on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks so much.